message is a bit of a continuation from last week. So if you missed last week's message, I, I encourage you to go online and listen to that. It's called uh, The Transgression of Hypocrisy. Today is basically part two of that message. And just to forewarn you, I did not originally plan it that way when I laid this sermon series out. I was going to teach on something completely different. And as I was writing this, I really felt drawn this direction very strongly. And so usually when that happens, it's because God's trying to get our attention on a certain truth and, and he really wants me to, to address this. And so I, being obedient to that, that's what I have decided to do. This is, this is a hard truth today. Last week's truth, these are all hard truths. We're talking about sin. Um, but last week with hypocrisy and continuing with, with that this week, this is a hard truth. But what I've found in my own life is it's, it has always been the hardest truths. The, the, the messages that I feel like my toes are stepped on the most that have challenged me and transformed me the most. Because they are such a hard truth, and it really causes me to, exa- to examine my own life and make the appropriate changes. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. We're only going to be reading two verses to start today. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, it's going to be up on the screens. You can follow along there. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have them available at the hub. Just stop by the hub after service. Say you need a Bible and we'll make sure that we get you one. So here we go. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 says this. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Verse 50, she was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out, as you have seen. Today's message is called Transgression of Sodom. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. God, that you would help me deliver this, this I believe, very powerful message, God, but but uh, also a very difficult message to, to receive. And so, Lord, I just pray, Father, today that, that you would touch each and every one. Holy Spirit, right where we're at. I don't know where different people are at in this room, God, but you do. And so, Father, I just pray that this message would land and it would communicate right where they're at in their relationship with you. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, today that as we leave this place, we're not the same as when we came in, but we are changed and transformed by your word. And we give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin this, I want to give you a little bit of a background on this text to help set the scene so you understand what's happening here. The biblical account of Sodom and Gomorrah is recorded in Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Genesis chapter 18 records that the Lord and two angels coming to speak with Abraham. The Lord says to Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. So the sins of these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, were of an, off, were an offensive nature, and those that were living there did not care that they were offensive. Basically what they said is, we are going to do what we want, we're going to live the way we want, and nobody's going to tell us any different. So verses 22 through 33 record Abraham pleading with the Lord to have mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham's nephew Lot and his family lived in Sodom. Genesis chapter 19 records the two angels disguised as human men visiting Sodom. 
Lot met the angels in the city square, and he urges the two angels to stay at his house. The angels agree. The Bible then tells us this in Genesis chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. It says, But before they retired for the night, all of the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. The angels then proceed to blind all of the men of Sodom, and they urge Lot and his family to immediately flee from the cities to escape the wrath that God's about to deliver. So Lot and his family flee the city. And then we read that God rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying both cities and everyone living there. Now here's what's interesting. The ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah have been discovered southeast of the Dead Sea, verifying this biblical account. Today it's a complete wasteland. Archaeologists have found several buildings that were burned by a fire that started on the roof. They have found balls balls of sulfur burnt into the walls, the floors, and the pillars. They also found layers of ash and a large archway completely covered in sulfur. So they took samples of this sulfur, which they found all over the area, and they inspected it in a lab. They found that these balls of sulfur were found to be around 94 to 98% pure sulfur with magnesium in them. This evidence fits the biblical description of what happened to these two cities as magnesium burns extremely hot and fast. Now, some people have tried to explain this away by saying that the balls of sulfur with the existence of the many ash layers found all over the city were due to a volcano that had erupted covering the cities in sulfur and ash. However, Sulfur that is produced in a volcanic eruption is only 40% sulfur, and it's a crystal type of sulfur, not a hard, dense, white sulfur like what has been found at Sodom. So it's clear from just the evidence that's been uncovered that sulfur burning extremely hot and fast came down from the sky, and that is what led to the total destruction of the city. So the fact has been proven. This is a true account and a real story that has been proven by science. Now, in light of this passage, many Christians stand by the fact that God destroyed these two cities because of homosexuality. And that's how the term Sodom came to be. The men of Sodom wanted to perform gang rape on the two angels who were disguised as men. We read that. But Christians have used this story to defend their hatred of those living this lifestyle. And Christians throughout the ages have, and even more so I think, and now in today's day and age, we've gotten up on our little milk crate, we grab our Bible and our megaphone, and we start yelling sinner to those that are living in this lifestyle. And we say things like, God destroyed cities because of that sin, you're going to hell, we shout. I've heard other Christians say that. I've, heard, I've seen Christians post it on their social media. As a matter of fact, just this week, I seen this from a pastor friend in Phoenix. He posted this on his wall. So they want to teach, so they want schools to teach LGBT history. Fine, start with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you could he could post what he wants, that's up to him. It makes no difference to me. I'm just trying to prove a point. But we yell things like this and we shout things like 
like this, and then 30 minutes later, we're on our phone looking at pornography. 30 minutes later, we're on the fifth plate at the buffet. 30 minutes later, we're gossiping about a coworker. Somewhere along the line, us Christians got this idea in our head that we are the judge of other people. And if your sin looks different than mine, then I get to judge you. I get to talk about you to other people behind your back. I get to condemn you to hell because I am the judge. And that's why people see, hear, say things like, I'm not going to church. Church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And if you've been following Christ for a while, you've probably heard that more than once. And I know it's just another excuse. But the sad reality is, is we have done it to ourselves. And this story of Sodom and Gomorrah illustrates this point perfectly. There is a powerful truth here, listen to me, not for the sinner, but for the Christian. You see, many people quote this as a condemnation for those that are living this lifestyle. But you're going to see it's actually a warning for the church. It's a warning to the believer. And I never seen this until I sat down to write this message. And I'm telling you, as I was writing this message, I was personally repenting for what I'm about to say. Because I have been in sin. I have been wrong. I was repenting. As I was writing this message, I was convicted because I am guilty. This is not a message on homosexuality today. We're only discussing that to set the background to uncover this great truth. So let's read it again. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Now, is homosexuality a sin? Yes, God's word says it's a sin. It's clearly a sin several times. People can try to explain it away all they want, but it's a sin. So is pride. So is gluttony. So is laziness. So is ignoring the needs of the poor and needy. When I was in Phoenix, I would get calls from time to time from an individual living in the homosexual lifestyle. I remember one day I got a call from an individual and he said, you pastor, he goes out, he said, I'm a homosexual. Will my partner and myself be accepted in your church? And I responded, absolutely, you're accepted. I, we will always welcome you. But I didn't stop there. I turned to him and I asked him the same question. I asked him, I have a question for you. Will you and your partner accept me? And there was a pause on the other, line, the other end of the line. He finally said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, just so like you have certain beliefs and convictions, so do I. And I believe that the word of God is true, and therefore I teach sin as sin. We are all guilty. We all have sin. It just looks different for all of us. And I believe that homosexuality is one of those sins. I will accept you. I will love you. I will help you in this journey of life as another human that, that struggles with sin. But I want to ask you, will you do the same for me? Will you show me the same grace that I show you? I kid you not, he said, absolutely not, and he hung up the phone. You see, this is where we get it wrong. His idea of acceptance is that I believe just like he did. In his eyes, the only way I could accept him is if I held to his belief and I agreed with him. But that's not true. I can love you and accept you just as you are because I understand I am not your judge. I am just another person trying to navigate this thing called life, holding on to the dear hand of God just like you are. And if you're trapped in a life of sin, 
I'm not going to climb a milk crate and beat you over the head. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love you. I might not agree with you. I might not agree with you. And because I love you, I'll tell you the truth of God's word, but I'm going to do it in love. And that's what we're talking about today. But I'm not your judge. I can tell you what God's word says, but I'm not your judge. I have no right to judge you. There is only one judge. My job is to prepare you to stand before the judge, the true judge. But it's not me. I'm not your judge. Think for a moment about the sins listed here in Ezekiel, the sins of Sodom. Yes, homosexuality was one. We see that in Genesis. Verse 50 alludes to that in in the perversion, uh, the detestable sins it says. So, So that was clearly one of them. There's no doubt about it. But Sodom wasn't destroyed for that alone. And that's a lot of times what we've preached. And it's important to understand this. Look at what else is listed. Pride. We did a whole message on this, on, on this, on pride earlier in the series. Now, you may have never been guilty of homosexuality, but have you ever been prideful? Have you ever struggled with pride? Well, according to Ezekiel, that was one of the sins that God destroyed the city for. And when you think about it like that, it puts it in a little bit of a different light. If I asked how many people in this room had struggled with pride in your life and you were honest, it would be 100%. Every one of you would be raising your hand. Mine would be the first one up. What about gluttony? Now, gluttony is kind of ground that you don't want to walk on because it is the topic that preachers don't preach on here in America. But God's Word calls it a sin. God destroyed cities because of gluttony. The problem is the sin of gluttony is the most widely accepted sin, not only in society, but in the church. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. Not only is the sin of gluttony accepted, but the sin of gluttony is encouraged and celebrated. Laziness is listed. Ignoring the poor, the the needs of the poor and needy are listed. Now, what does all of this have to do with you and I? Listen to me very carefully especially those of you that have been following Christ for many years. I can speak to this because I've walked right through the middle of this for more than 20 years as a pastor now. The church overall, Christians overall, have a history of condemning certain sins. And I've heard some heartbreaking stories of people that have been alienated by their church family because of a certain sin either by themselves or by someone in their family. I have heard of families being removed from membership and serving because a child had gone astray. We have pointed our fingers and we have cried abomination to certain sins, but at the same time we have ignored our own. My own mother became a disgrace to the church. My grandparents attended when she became pregnant with me. She was 16. She was in one of those moments like, oh dear Lord, what am I going to do? But instead of loving her, they just kicked her to the curb. My grandfather, he was a strong Christian man. He wanted nothing to do with me at first because of that. He later came to his senses. My great-grandfather, also a very strong church-going man, he was a doctor. He was very wealthy. He completely removed my mother from the will. How dare you soil our name? She wasn't threatening anybody. She wasn't hurting anybody. It was all about protecting our good family name. 
Jesus tells us to come to him if we are weary and heavy laden. But the church, a lot of times us Christians, we push those away that are weary and heavy laden. The church of America has become a little country club. And if we break one rule, we're kicked out of the club. And we get up on our milk crates and we beat people over the head with the Bible as they walk by and we yell, sinner. And we're so busy pointing our fingers at others, we fail to realize that we've got three. You've heard the saying, we've got three fingers pointing back at us. Now watch this. The same sins, the sins of Sodom listed in Ezekiel, the sins that God destroyed cities for are the exact same sins the church as a whole has been guilty of for years. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's, let's take them one by one. Pride. Think, just think for a moment. I, I could list many things. I'll just, I'll just list one. Think of church splits. You hear about them all the time. This church has been through several. several. I've talked about that. Imagine the impact that this church would be having on this community right now if there was never one split. Since we've been here, look at the impact that this church is having on community in four years. This church, I believe, is 83 years old this year. The splits just about killed it. Imagine the impact of 83 years of unity. Imagine what God could have done in this city if we would have just swallowed our pride. But you see, we have to have things done our way. We have to be in control Remember, I've said it before that churches are usually not destroyed from the outside. As a matter of fact, outside opposition usually will usually unite a church, make it stronger. Churches are always destroyed from the inside. It's when we turn on each other. It's when we bicker and fight and we have to have everything our way. I thank God for getting us through 2020 united And I believe now we're stronger than ever. I know COVID is far from over. But as a church, I believe that we are healthier and stronger now. And we are more united than we were pre-COVID. But that season, man, I'm telling you, was like walking on eggshells most of the time. Most days I just pray, God, just take me home. Just kidding, I wouldn't pray that. But I did pray for wisdom a lot. Because I honestly felt this. I felt... And I prayed this, God, I, I feel like just one, one wrong word, one word that's spoken out of context or whatever is going to split this church. That's the way I felt. And so I prayed, God, I need your help. I want, man, daily, I need wisdom for this because I, I don't know what to do. And in asking for wisdom, I felt like God was telling me the most important thing I could do was leave my opinions at home. Can I tell you as a pastor, do you know how difficult it is to be on a platform and to push your opinions off to the side in an emotionally charged environment like we had in 2020? Do you know how difficult that was for me? But you see, I realize it now. I didn't realize it then. But sharing my opinion, especially in a divisive environment like that, is a form of pride. I was battling pride. Because I wanted everybody to know what I thought. My opinion was important, and you need to know that's pride. But God taught me something as I wrestled through that season. I'm just telling my, on myself today because I'm hoping it helps you as well. He helped me to realize that my opinion doesn't have the power to change my life, it can influence, but it can't change a life. 
My opinion doesn't have the power to rescue someone from hell. Therefore, in the scope of eternity, my opinion isn't important. I felt like God told me, Matt, put your pride on the shelf. Walk into that place every day and just love my people. Serve my people. When you speak, don't speak your opinion. Speak truth. Speak my word. My word does have the power to change a life. My word does have the power to rescue someone from the grip of hell. My opinion can't do that. And so that's what I did to the best of my ability. Man, I know I failed sometimes. But that's what I did, and that's what I will continue to do. I want to let you know, pride will kill unity. And if you look, if you, if you just look at some of the studies of churches that, have, that, have, that didn't make it, you're going to see this. The spirit of pride came in, it killed the unity. Next, they were guilty of gluttony. All right, just fasten your seatbelt, here we go. <laughs> Gluttony is defined as excessive eating or drinking. It's also, it's also defined as a form of greed. Now, telling on myself, if there is anything I have been guilty of, I have been guilty of this one right here. Not only have I been guilty of this, but back in the day, and some of you have too, I used to brag about how much I could eat. You see, we celebrate this sin here in America And here's the thing, we Christians, we're all mad and we're upset that they're starting to celebrate homosexuality, and rightfully so, but we've celebrated gluttony for years. They're both sins, and both sins were present in Sodom when God destroyed it. Are you seeing that? Now, we have to be very, very careful with this, not to judge a person based on outward appearance or based upon body type. We don't see the heart. Only God sees the heart. We've talked about this. We don't know the conditions that exist from person to person. Different people have different metabolisms. Different people have different genetic makeups. And then you get into certain medical reasons that why person might, a person might or might not gain weight. And you have to be very careful not to judge a person based on how they look. Again, I'm not the judge and neither are you. But I want you to see and understand that we as a church, even as America, have celebrated gluttony. Think about it. Have you ever heard of Joey Chestnut? World record holder for eating the most hot dogs in 10 minutes. Now he can do what he wants. If he wants to eat a million hot dogs in one setting, he can do that. That's up to him. But is he, I, that's not what I want to focus on. I want you to focus on what's happening as he's doing that. As he's downing those hot dogs, people are in the stands and they're screaming and they're cheering. Oh, come on, pastor, that's ridiculous. People just having a little bit of fun. Again, you can do what you want. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, but you're responsible what you do with it. I know many restaurants. They offer a free meal if you can eat a larger-than-life portion within a certain time limit. And if you can do it, they'll take your picture, put it up on the wall, they'll give you a nice little t-shirt, and you'll walk out of the restaurant with people cheering, feeling like you're going to vomit. And we celebrate this. I could go on, but I think you get my point. Over the last five decades, the average size of food servings, whether from fast food, sit-down restaurants, or grocery stores, has grown by as much as 138%. 
Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 16 says, do you like honey? Okay, don't eat too much or you will be sick. You see, God wants what's best for us. The sin of gluttony will lead to poor health. Poor health will limit our ability to accomplish what God has put us on this earth to accomplish. It also leads to all sorts of health problems. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in America, killing roughly 2,000 Americans a day. The number one killer in America. You see, I want you to understand this. We condemn and we judge those people trapped in homosexuality or other types of sins. And we shout, God destroyed cities because of what you're doing. And God says, that was a part of it, yes. But I also destroyed the cities for gluttony, which you celebrate. And this, my friends, is why the world sees us as hypocrites. The next two I'm going to talk about together because I do believe they go hand in hand. Ezekiel also says that Sodom was destroyed because of laziness while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. Now, I've talked about this before, but the statistics say that most people in churches, they don't serve anywhere. You see, the statistics say that most people, they they put on a bib and they come to church and they yell, feed me, but they don't get involved in feeding other people. They don't serve anywhere. You see, when we're born... We need people to feed us. We can't feed ourselves. But then as we grow and mature, we learn how to feed ourselves. Then as we grow and mature further, we learn to cook and we learn to feed others. It's the same thing spiritually speaking. There comes a time when we have to step out and not only start feeding ourselves, but then start feeding others as well. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. But the problem is it takes work to feed ourselves. It takes work to feed other people. The people of Sodom had become lazy, and through their laziness, they ignored the needs of the the needy people in their own backyard. You see, it was all about them. They become selfish, and this is another thing the Church of America has become guilty of. Not only guilty of this, but we have celebrated it. I had a guy tell me once that he went on a missions trip. If I remember correctly, he went to South America. And as he was on the street serving the people of South America, he seen the little children out there begging for food. He said, he said Pastor, it ripped my heart out. But then he said, I realized something. He said, God gave me a revelation in that moment. He said, I would spend thousands of dollars. I would travel thousands of miles to another part of the world, I would take two weeks off of work to care for the kids of South America. But he goes, I realize I never lifted one finger to care about the struggling kids in my own backyard. He said, never have I shed one tear or given one dollar for the precious children in my own backyard. And he came back from that trip a changed man. But this is what the church has done. We send money all over the world, and that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing because there's needs all over the world, and all people are important to God. We do that as a church. We support several missionaries. You support several missionaries around the world. But the church sends money all over the world to take care of needs, and at the same time, they ignore the exact same need in their own backyard. We neglect the problems that are in our own community. 
So we send money to help a kid somewhere else in the world, and that's a good thing. But then we ignore the kid with the same problem in our own neighborhood. And we celebrate this. I've seen it with my own eyes. You see, I go to a church convention. You won't know this, but I do. I go to a church convention, and the churches that gave the most money are held in the highest honor. They're given the biggest plaques. And everyone claps and cheers and praise God for that. And that's fine. But you see, little is said about those that have their hands dirty impacting their own community. Little is said of those that are taking care of the poor and the needy right outside of their own back door. You see, I believe the church has been guilty of this, ignoring those in our own backyard for two reasons. Number one, there's no recognition for it. We like recognition. We like the pat on the back. We like for others to notice what we're doing. And when you're serving your community, no one's patting you on the back and yelling, good job. No one. Number two, let's just be honest, it's hard. You have to get your hands dirty. Taking care of your own backyard is work. Running buses is work. It's hard work. We had a bus hit by a drunk driver this Wednesday night. Man, that's tough. Nobody was hurt, praise God. Feeding hundreds of people every week is work. It's hard work. Providing backpacks for hundreds of kids and haircuts is work. It's hard work. That, that week after back to school bash, I think they still are, the entire staff was dragging. But we will not be a church that ignores the needs of our community. We're not going to be just another church that takes up real estate on a corner lot. We are going to be a church that gets its hands dirty and helps solve the greatest problems our city is facing. And I don't really care if people are clapping for us. I don't care if people are cheering for us because the applause of man means nothing in the light of eternity. We have an audience of one. One. But you see, this is what the Church of America has become. We've become proud gluttons. We've become lazy, ignoring the needs of our cities. But yet we sit in the lazy boy with our feet up yelling sinner to those passing by. And we wonder why the world sees us as hypocrite. Everyone was upset when the church was shut down during the pandemic because... We were labeled non-essential. But did you really sit back and process that? Or did you just say, it makes me mad, we're not essential. But did you really sit back and, I, I did, I sat back and I processed through this. And I thought about this and I thought, okay, the non-believer sees the church, it was clear as day, as non-essential. Think about that for a moment. Really think about that. The person we are supposed to be reaching sees us as the church as a whole as non-essential. Now you can cry persecution all you want, but the sad truth is we have done this to ourselves. The American church overall has become so inward focused that we're no longer any good to anybody. And we get mad when we're labeled as non-essential. But are we? Are we non-essential? 
Are we really helping to solve the problems of our cities? Or are we non-essential? Some churches report zero salvations over the course of a year, a year, zero salvations. We become little country clubs and then we get mad when we're labeled as non-essential. We do nothing to help the cities we're called to serve. Let me tell you, what God destroyed Sodom for, the church has been guilty of the most and even celebrated it. Christians have been guilty. This is a hard truth. But as I close this up, I just want to challenge you. We're going to close out this series today. We're going to do a a special message next week that God's been dealing with me on for, for quite some time now. But I want to challenge you as we close out this series today to be a little bit, if any, you got anything out of this entire series is to be a little slower when the spirit of judgment rises up inside of you. We should all, as children of God, oppose sin. Absolutely. However, listen to me. We should oppose sin in the light of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, which tells us to speak the truth in love. Much of the time, we don't speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in condemnation. We're speaking the truth, but we speak it in condemnation. And then those that we are condemning, they see our faults and we become a hypocrite and we actually push them further away. Like I think that, of that Facebook post earlier, and you can post what you want, it's up to you, I'm just using this as an example. But you look at that Facebook post and imagine someone trapped in that, in that sin and they're looking to that, I guarantee you they're not going to break down and start repenting. They're going to become angry going to say who are you to judge me that's a condemnation and when we use condemnation we have to understand we're not the judge and we all deal with stuff too we can address sin as sin but we can do it in a loving way let's not be a people let's not be a church that's guilty of the transgression of Sodom let's love people let's show people the way to Jesus Let's do our part and make disciples. Let's get off those couches and serve. And let's be the bridge to the people of our community. That is our mission and vision. Four words. Love, show, make, be. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I thank you for this word today. And God, I know that there are some people challenged in here because I was personally challenged as I was as you were giving me this and I was writing this and I was thinking through this. So Lord, I just pray, Father, as we leave this place, we leave this series, that we would be a little bit more mindful when that judgmental spirit rises up inside of us. That we would show people love instead of condemning them. God, I just want to thank you for the truth of your word. I want to thank you, God, that has the power to change us and transform us and set us free from from the, 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 the traps that, we're, that we set for ourselves and that we're, that we're stuck in. So God, I give you the thanks for it today. Holy Spirit, I give you the praise for the work that you've done in the lives of your people. Let us remember this message all week, all month, as we go on our way. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes.